Hey, looking for something to read? Tired of all those published authors with their fancy publishing deals and books you have to pay for? Check out Bob Moore, No Hero by Tom Andre. It's free. It's short. And there are two full-length sequels you can pay for if you're into that sort of thing. Bob Moore. Find out more about the PI that investigates superheroes at www.tomandry.com slash books. Welcome to another edition of AV Rants. I'm Tom Andry and I'm here with... Rob H. This is AV Rant. It's your home theater and AV questions answered. And uh, I'm a little touch under the weather, so I might sound a uh-huh. bit congested. I, I thought I had gotten all that congestion out, but, uh, you know, it, it, it builds it, back up. It comes back. His Canadian Funny. comes in when he gets congested. He says, does it? A little bit. <laughs> I... I don't really try to get rid of my Canadian accent, but... I don't uh, think you should. Why would except, you? Except for subwoofer, because I know that if I don't think about it, I do say woofer, and it comes out woo-woofer, woofer. and so I, I, I try to make sure it comes out woofer. woofer. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> Americans. We're in the obnoxious people. We can't help it. It comes from us feeling having low self-esteem from getting rejected from every other major country in the world before we came over here to <laughs> subjugate na- native people for our benefit and uh, make ourselves feel better. So, Well, I guess know. that's one way to say honoring summarize. Veterans Day from yesterday. Uh, yesterday was summarize Remembrance American Day. History. Yesterday was Remembrance Day and Veterans Day, so we're recording <sighs> on a Tuesday. That's, that's what's right. going on. Happy Veterans Day to all of our veterans. We appreciate you. I... Uh, it's a perfect temperature in Florida right now. It's so beautiful outside mm. that the AC doesn't kick on. So when I sit underneath right. these lights, one room in my house gets really hot, and the rest of the house is like, yeah, we're good. And the AC is like, we're fine. So I get it's, it's finally the perfect temperature in uh, Vancouver, Canada, too. It's about four degrees Celsius, and I'm very happy with that. My balcony window is just a crack open instead of wide open, and it's just right. I'm going to have to either do something about this heat or get... <laughs> an ice bucket challenge going on in here or something. I don't know. I can't open that window because it'll get too loud. I opened the door, hopefully, that would let some cool air in, but we'll see. All right, this is AV Rent, the podcast that answers your home theater and AV questions. To get your questions answered, all you have to do is ask us by emailing us at question at avrant.com. Mm-hmm. Dang it, I always say it. Dot avrant.com to, and ask us a question there and leave us a comment. Facebook.com slash podcast is the best way to get in touch with us if you don't like email. And apparently, I guess the kids these days don't use the Facebook anymore. So, Oh, definitely all, not. No. It's just all the Insta chats or whatever. Well, I think they're starting to even flee TikTok friends. because as as soon as, you know, their parents start showing up, they're like, yeah, let's move to the next one. That's I thought TikTok was do. just uh, you could put your face on a thing and it would make it look like you were an animal singing a song. Isn't that what TikTok was? Is it something different now? I don't know. I've never used TikTok. I'm not even going to pretend to know. <laughs> I'm old. I've given up. I try to keep up as much as I can because I do have young kids I know, and I need yeah. to know what's going on with them. My <laughs> my eldest son, who's 16, has no interest in anything social, ah, media, media Probably or better off. <laughs> but my 13-year-old, you know, has already gotten caught a couple of times with Instagram accounts he's not supposed to have and stuff mm. like that. So we're... I, I try to keep on top of it as much as possible. Yeah. 
I think there's a lot of parents out there who have like literally no idea what their kids do online because I see people yeah buying I would Grand that. Theft Auto for their ten <laughs> year old kids and I'm like did you not even read the name did there's nothing in there to no, put a red flag the, for you the giant no? guns and the girls in bikinis on the cover aren't a clue nope. that's not t- tipping you off there you're just like no no it's just art. All right, uh, youtube.com slash avrant. <laughs> you can uh, reach Rob directly at rob at avrant.com. His Twitter is at firstreflect. I'm Tom at avrant.com. My Twitter is at avrant underscore Tom. I want to thank our listeners of the week. To become a listener of the week, all you have to do is support us in some way. One of the ways you can do that is financially going to avrant.com and clicking on the Buy Us a Cup of Coffee link. That will take you to a PayPal donation site where they'll take your PayPal information or a credit card. They don't really care. Uh, and then give most of it to us. So we want to thank mm-hmm. Adam and Thomas for doing that this week. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Thomas. Yeah, Adam, Thomas, thank you both for those donations. We appreciate it. And we finally hit a new milestone on Patreon. Patreon is yeah. a service where you sign up, and uh, every month it'll take a little bit of money from you and give most of it to us. Uh, just help support us and pay for our hosting costs and other such things. Uh, you helped buy a light new lamp for my... Well, the money I got from it, I spent on a lamp for my projector, which is about to blow. But I'm so cheap, I'm waiting for it to actually explode. Before nice. I, I need to take it out. I need to just switch it out. But it's like, it still it still works. Why are you taking it out if it still works? I'm so cheap. So I want to thank our 90, big 90, yeah. Patreon, uh, patrons over at Patreon.com, including Patricio and Michael, who both uh, let us know that they were... Uh, either new or continuing patrons. I don't know which. Yeah, uh, so Patricio if- is a continuing patron. He's been around since uh, we almost first set up Patreon. And Michael said he is the newest patron. He's the one who put us from 89 nice. to 90. So that's nice. that's you. awesome, Patricio. Michael, thank you for being patrons. Thank you very much to our 88 other patrons as well. That's patreon.com slash Podcast if you would like to sign up. And, and you should sign up because our number keeps fluctuating up and down. And next week, it'll probably be back into the 80s. And I'll be sad. Oh, so, don't make Rob sad. That's right. He's already droopy from his post-nasal drip. You want that's him to right. cry too? You monsters! <laughs> you can do a dollar a month. I think that's a pretty good deal. It's for, so hot. You know, yeah. like at least eight hours of content every month, sometimes ten, if it's one of those things where the weeks fall that way. Yeah. <laughs> Lastly, if you can't support us, uh, well, I mean, this is also financial, but if you can't support us financially uh, via one of those two ways and you find some other way to support us, talk us up, I don't know, go on national news and mention how AV Rant's the bomb, hold one of those signs up at (laughs) Good Morning America, go AVRant.com, best podcast. That would be cool. That would, I'd I'd mention you. Just let us know what you did so that we can say something to you. And so we want to thank Vince and Dan. They each sent Rob an Amazon gift card. So thank you, uh, yeah. Vince and Dan. That was very nice. Not he's at all expected. Very generous of you. Thank you, Vince. Thank you, Dan. I, he's I really going to spend it all on a Kleenex. It could be. <laughs> <laughs> Vince said he felt a bit bad because he's like, oh, I sent Tom a gift card. I want to send you one too. But I wasn't sure whether to use an Amazon.com because that's, of course, the USA website. Right. And I'm like, well, you can because I do still buy things from Amazon.com every once in a while. But I shop more often at Amazon.ca being in Canada. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, I can send you an Amazon.ca gift card. And he did. So thank you, Vince. And thank you, Dan, as well. All right, in the news, uh, this comes from our listener, Jay. Microsoft Research partnered with Warner Brothers to demonstrate their Project Silica storage medium. You know, silica, isn't that like the little hairs in your nose? Did nobody... I'm pretty sure those are cilia, the ones oh. in your ears. What's silica, then? 
uh, that'd be like uh, sand. All right, maybe they make the thing out of sand. Well, that's three, what glass is made out of. <laughs> I didn't get that far, Rob. This is the first time I've read this. <laughs> a three-inch square of glass, two millimeters thick, was etched with lasers to store 75.6 gigabytes of cold data for archival purposes. This is not the first time Warner Brothers has used glass as a storage medium. In the 1940s, glass discs about the same size as vinyl records were used to archive the Superman radio show. So for Project Silica, they decided to store Superman the movie... Multiple layers of three-dimensional voxels voxels, Mm -hmm. are etched into the glass by lasers, and then microscopes are used to read the data. Current movie archives still use film, with the movies divided into three separate color channels, and each color channel stored on its own film reel. So Project Silica could potentially save a great deal of physical storage space while lasting longer and being more durable. Yeah, and it gets us that much closer to the crystals that they had in the first series of Star Trek, which is what we all want. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, so this is not a fast read-write process. This isn't what you would uh, be using. hard storage. It's like a book. This is the archival stuff meant to last as long as possible and not lose the data that is stored within. Uh, But yeah, good good to see advancements being made. Pretty cool. I wonder if they make otter boxes for those things to keep them from breaking. (laughs) They, they were like they're very durable but yes if you smash them with a hammer they are made of glass it is still possible to break them but overall it should be a long lasting medium and that's what they're looking for and that's good so we finally have an option for a tv that supports both dolby vision and hdr 10 plus in north america it's vizio's latest firmware update has added hdr 10 plus support for the 2018 p series and p quantum and the 2019 M Quantum and P Quantum and P Quantum X models. The X That's right. Because of the X. That's it how, is. what it tells you. That's how you it can mar- tell. It marks the spot of where the, all the good stuff is so uh yeah that that's great to see uh we haven't had an option in north america uh well i guess you could get some panasonic tvs in canada so uh united states in particular uh vizio is the first brand to have both dolby vision and hdr 10 plus support uh and on a pretty decent smattering of models yeah that uh, they might have so So that's nice yeah violet don't worry i'm not talking about you so apple tv plus Really, did they have to have the plus? They had to because, well, we're going to talk about Disney Plus in a moment, and they had a plus. So Apple TV's got to have a plus. It got, they should have a double plus. Mm-hmm. It's hashtag, hard to Google. Hashtag Apple doesn't... TV. Hashtag Apple TV. Where is that marketing? Anyway, so Apple TV Plus launched over a week ago with all nine shows in total to watch. Mm-hmm. But an interesting tidbit, according to the stats taken by FlatPanelsHD.com, is that the streaming video bit rate is higher than what you get from iTunes streams or downloads. They're averaging around 30 megabits per second for 4K, with peaks over 40 for 4K HDR. That's about twice the bit rate of a Netflix 4K content, about half the bit rate of Ultra HD Blu-ray discs. So, yay. So... Apple doesn't have a ton of content on their service. It is only original shows funded by Apple that is on Apple TV+. Plus. So they haven't gone out and licensed a whole library of uh, older content or anything like that. So only nine shows at the moment and not even like the entire seasons. It's just like three episodes of each one is what they put up there. Uh, but yeah, interesting that they are going for quality. They're like, let's let's throw the bits out there. We're Apple. Apparently we can do it. <laughs> I mean, it's higher uh, bit rate than Netflix, so. Not necessarily so what's, what's free on this thing? Is it um, free? Is it just the nine shows and that's it, or is there? Yeah, I'm pretty sure you can watch like the first episode of each show for free, like as a trial. You still have to enter your credit card, as far as I know, but they won't actually well, charge you until that. you sign up. Yeah. 
So no, I mean, but what's like if you sign up for the service, you yeah. get the nine shows, and then what else do you get? Nothing. That that's it. Nine shows at the moment. I mean, they'll be adding more. They renewed every single one of their shows for a second season. Ooh, who would have guessed? <laughs> Disney Plus is here, at least for the U.S., uh, Canada, and Netherlands, specifically. Rob's extremely yes. limited time with it has been a bit clunky, but it's working. Australia and New Zealand will get it on the 19th, and Disney announced that March 31st, 2020, is when Disney Plus will launch in uh, the U.K., Germany, France, Italy, and Spain, and potentially more Western European countries. Eastern Europe and Latin America will get it late 2020. I'm supposed to be signed up for that. How come I don't... How come I... It can't, it's start, I think it starts today, though. Doesn't it start today? It started this morning. It was 6 a.m. Eastern time, so 3 a.m. Uh, over here on the West Coast. Charge. I thought I was supposed to get a charge for that. Right. So in Canada, I wasn't even able to sign up for it until this morning when it went live. I signed up to be notified and never was, but I just went to the website at about 4 a.m. while I was working on the topic list this morning. And uh, there it was. It said, begin your free trial, enter your credit card. I get seven days. I have a chance to cancel. Uh, but yeah, went ahead and tried to use it now. This is day, let's not even call it day one. This is day zero of this service launching. Yeah. Uh, which meant, you know, their servers are getting hammered right now as sure. every person who wants to is signing up and checking out uh, their shows to begin with. So I have had plenty of times where it said, uh, sorry, unable to connect right now. There's like a Wreck-It Ralph graphic, of course, and uh, and retry. And if I click retry, I don't know, a half a dozen times, usually it proceeded. Uh, but, you know, going through the search, not everything loaded. Uh, I'm thankful that on all of the... Uh, well. Uh, let's see, I've only tried three apps. I've tried uh, like through the browser on my iPhone and on my Apple TV 4K. Uh, but happy oh. to see that on all of those, uh, the search just allows you to list everything alphabetically, which I'm like, thank you. Netflix lets you do that on their web interface, but not on any of their apps. I'm like, sometimes I just want everything in a list, uh, which is actually possible. But of course, the alphabet ended at B. In my case, it refused to load any further in the alphabet than the letter B. Uh, so yeah, things are a little bit clunky right now. But um, uh, I'm disappointed that I can't give this a proper review this week because, of course, our audio-only version will be coming out on Friday and other people will have their reviews out. I'll have to wait until next week to give it a proper review. But immediately, almost everything is in Dolby Vision. Like, stuff I wasn't expecting to be in Dolby Vision is available in Dolby Vision, like The Phantom Menace, which we've never had a Dolby Vision version of that available before, but there it is. Uh, and they've done a pretty decent job of listing uh, what is in Atmos. You go into any title, if it's available in Atmos, the little graphic is there. On my Apple TV 4K, uh, when I was able to get things to play, because sometimes I had the little spinning blue circle that went on and on and on and on. Uh, but when it did play, uh, Dolby Vision activated, Dolby Atmos activated, it switched itself into 24 frames per second on my Apple TV 4K. I can't say that other devices will do that. Uh, I'm a little disappointed. Also, I ordered a new NVIDIA Shield TV Pro, uh, but it's not going to arrive until later today. So I, I cannot review that and talk about its frame rate matching. So there'll be a whole bunch of stuff from me next week. Uh, but yeah, so far, it's, uh, I mean, I have zero doubt that things will get smoothed out beyond day zero. I am not concerned about that at all. And the amount of content that is there and the format that it's available in is impressive so far. So uh, so yeah. what do we have as far as content? We've got all the Marvel, that can't be all the Marvel movies. It's not quite all the Marvel movies. Uh, it's all the Avengers, all the Captain Americas, all the Iron Mans, the Gal Guardians of the Galaxies, and a handful of others. Captain Marvel is there. Uh, all the Star Wars except for The Last Jedi and 
Solo, because those are still on still Netflix. On Netflix yeah. uh, but all the other ones, uh, in fact, they signed a deal with whoever it was who had the rights to The Phantom Menace because they didn't. And now if you're signing up for Disney Plus today, uh, during the sign-up process, you'll see an ad when they were like, Disney Plus will have no ads. Well, in order to get The Phantom Menace, they had to agree <laughs> to put an ad in their sign-up process. But there's no ads on the service itself, so I'm not really too concerned about that. Um, I couldn't get any of the Pixar stuff to load at all. Oh. It just that that just wouldn't load for me. But I'm, I'm I'm again I'm within like the first two hours of this thing going live. If right, you're right, listening right. to this later in the week, so you know the, I so, don't take any indication on that. I th- I don't know that I've seen Toy Story four. I know I haven't seen the second record, Ralph. I I don't know if Toy Story 4 is there yet. I mean, it's still relatively new. It came out of the theaters not that long ago. So, like I said, I couldn't get any of the Pixar to load. Uh, The Mandalorian is there. I couldn't get the universe, according to Jeff Goldboom, to play. So, I don't know what that is like at all. But I had extremely limited time. All right. Let's get to these questions here. Let's show. Jules in the UK. Jules and his family have a shelf-built house on the hillside in the UK. He says they vacation for two months in the summer and they rent out the house while they're away, which basically pays for their mortgage. Back when he was a bachelor, he had a 7.1 home theater with a projector, but now the TV goes in the completely great open great room with the family room area open to the kitchen at the back and the dining. It's just all open. It's completely open. Okay, it's all Every side, hard floors, hard flat white walls. Yeah. Everything's Patio flat, openings white, on and, both sides. It's, yeah, it's, it's, this place looks really cool, man. I'll be honest with you. This would this looks awesome. Well, it's a, uh, one not of those, very conducive for home theater. Yeah, but. Visually, <laughs> in a magazine, yes, it looks exceedingly clean and straight lines, and yeah, yeah aesthetically pleasing. Uh, acoustically, I I don't think I'd want to live in this room, but uh, uh, but who you knows? Know, you're not. He's not living there. He's visiting there for two months. He's probably spending. Well, most no, of the no, time he's there. He's anyways. there the other ten months. The the rents it out for two months. Oh, he rents it out for two months. I thought he. Yes. He says they vacation for two months in the summer. They rent. A- oh, okay. I misread that. I thought he vacations at the house for two months. No, then- no, 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 no. They okay. rent it out for two months. They're there. The other ten. All right. So first things first. Do you have a room that isn't this open? And can we put the TV in? There? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's the plan. The plan is to have it in here. Yeah. So for the all the AV upgrades he would like to do, he's got a max budget of around ten thousand pounds, which I don't even know what the conversion rate is on that anymore. Is it a dollar? Not as pounds? much as it used to be. That's yeah. I think you're talking maybe twelve, thirteen thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, dollar twenty-five. That sounds about right. Uh, so he's got a ten-year-old fifty-inch plasma on the wall right now. He wants to upgrade to an eighty-two or eighty-five four-inch uh, four K HDR TV. The eighty-two-inch Samsung Q seventy goes for about three thousand pounds. The eighty-five-inch uh, Sony X nine fifty G goes for about forty-five hundred pounds. Do we have a suggestion? Well, if you're going to spend ten thousand, I would suggest you not spend forty-five hundred on the TV. <laughs> let's start. With, let's start with probably that. <laughs> in, in all likelihood. I have to agree with that. Now, I. What I, I immediately thought of was either Samsung's Q80 or Q90 series. Okay. Because those have the best, hands down, the best anti reflective 
coating of any TV that's available right now. It's not even close from anybody else. I don't know what they did. They did the whole moth eye thing that was like at CES like three years ago and we thought nobody was ever going to use, but they did it and it's like spectacularly good at getting rid of reflections and glare and all that. So I immediately Let's was say like, reducing. Let's not say getting rid of. Well, okay, yes. Yeah. Well, but drastically just, reducing. Like it's right. like an order of magnitude better than anybody else's effort on that front. So that was immediately what I thought of. But then when I went looking, at Samsung's UK website, for whatever reason, they don't sell the 82-inch size of the Q80 and the Q90 in the UK. At least it's not listed on the Samsung UK website, and it wasn't listed on the Amazon UK website. Now, the Q70, which he mentioned, is, but the Q70 doesn't get that spectacular uh, anti-reflective coating. I don't know if you can find a Q80. Now, the Q90 is going to be too expensive. It's, it's going to take up an unreasonable amount of your budget. It's more expensive than the X950G. Uh, but the Q80 should be the same or less than that X950G. Uh, in fact, it should be less. Uh, but I, I, don't, I don't know the availability. But Jules, if you can look into that, if you can somehow find the 82-inch Q80 from Samsung, that's the one I think you should get. All right. Otherwise, save not, the money and go with the 70. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, this place just begs for a projector, though, doesn't it? <laughs> you, you only have uh, to buy yeah. a screen. You just buy a border. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't... Does it, though? I mean, like, is this really the best place for a projector? No, You'd have to go with not. one of those ultra-short throw ones. You would, and not only that, it would have to be super bright because... Uh, oh, yeah. To use it during the day. And we've got to assume that this, this TV gets used during the day. I mean... You know, and the good ultra short throw is you're looking at at least 3,000 pounds just for the projector, and then you need the proper screen in yeah. a place like this. Uh, so you're going to be in the same $4,000, ballpark. No, I was just saying, you, I was just joking because it, you know, he didn't really need a screen. Well, it's paint the black border on the wall. <laughs> no, but realistically, uh, you could go with an ultra short throw projector in here. It won't look as good as an LCD, though. Like, no. as much as. People are excited about the ultra short throws with the you know full ambient light rejecting screens and that it's like they still wash out. There's nothing you can do, and you no. have possibly the worst environment ever. Yeah. So uh, I I, 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 I couldn't in good conscience suggest that you go with a uh, projector because it's either going to look washed right. out during the day or hot spotty at night. So yeah, those, you're, you know, agreed. It's, a, yeah. it's never going to be as good as you want it to be. So I would definitely go with a direct view. So he's got a 15 year old SVS PB2. Ultra. Okay, if you don't recognize that, it's because it's way old. And it uh, is. That's an older it's model. A, it's it's a massive thing that uh, has two 12 inch drivers in it. They used Correct. to make one. Did they make one with four for a while? I feel like they did. Uh, Anyways, I don't recall that, but anyway, yeah. it's been sitting in storage. His wife hates it, and he'd like to use it. Any tips <laughs> on setting up in the space to sound best? Yes, I suggest you sell it. And get a smaller sub that does the same thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's put it. Uh, he's put it along the wall on his right hand side oh, at I the see moment. It. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a, a big old big black old box, box back there. Yeah, um, it's about which, the size of a very large, uh, a little bit bigger than a very large dog crate. You know, those right. dog crates that you would put. You would put a Great Dane in. It's about that size. And That's I mean, again, aesthetically, where he has it right now is probably the spot that makes the most sense. Yeah. I have no idea if it sounds good there. I mean, our normal suggestion when you have one subwoofer is to do a subwoofer crawl. But how many places realistically can something this size live? You kind of have to put it where 
it can physically exist and live with whatever the results are. Now, if you went for some, I mean, is a cylinder more reasonable in here? I think it is. It's certainly easier to move around and potentially. Well, a lot and now that they have place. those wood tops on them, you can almost use them as a stand, sort of speak. Right. You know, which kind of looks okay. The the only thing I can see with this that you can do. And I don't, I'm not necessarily saying that you should do this. Is use it as an end table. On, Literally on your use couch. it as an end table. Sure. Yeah. Put it right next to your couch, and then throw. Uh, have your wife or whomever you throw. You know, figure out some acoustically. Uh, well, I mean, if it's, I think it's bottom firing, right? These things are bottom firing, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yeah. So either have a fabric which doesn't go past the bottom of the sub where the opening is for the sound to come out, or <laughs> get acoustically transparent fabric that you throw over the top, and that be and you know, so it's white, so it looks like everything right. else. I mean, he's got a table beside the couch. Yeah, right you just now, get rid of that. So, but I mean, yeah. whether that positioning directly beside oh. your couch would actually be any better than where he has it right now, we don't know. No, 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 no. It, it would there's simply no, be a matter of There is no it. deciding. There's no placing things in this, in, as far as something as large as a subwoofer, in right. this space for sound quality. It's, it's, yeah. it, there's too much aesthetically going on here that you have to contend with. And it's, does it make, I couldn't tell you, oh, yeah, we, you need to put them in diagonally opposite corners. And, oh, no. Cause I mean, you know, not put, only is this room yeah. wide open, it's also open to a gigantic stairway that leads yeah, to yeah. who knows where. So, yeah. yeah, this is a completely unsealed room. I I still I mean I know you love you probably have a lot of uh, love for the sub and everything else but I mean if it were me I would take a hard look at how much I could get for it and then figure out how if I could get two smaller SVS subs mm. that could be used as end tables on either side of that that L shaped right? couch he's gotten there you know and then do the throw a fabric over it thing and call it good. You know, uh, yeah. I I don't think sonically we're really worried that much about where you place it because I don't think that there's any way of us. First of all, you're not going to pressurize the space, and you wouldn't no, want to no, no. because th- those sliding glass doors are just going to rattle like crazy anyway. So you're going to have all sorts of issues with that. I would rather have a couple of smaller subs closer to my couch than one big sub over in the corner trying to pressurize yeah. the space. I would probably agree there. I mean, theoretically speaking, if you're keeping the PB2 Ultra, theoretically, the best place to put it in here would be basically on your front, like where your TV is, in the middle width-wise of the whole space, which would actually mean it's to the left of your TV, the right. way things are set up right now, because you've got your dining room to the left of the family room area. I mean, theoretically, that would be the best spot. But I mean, look at the size of the sub and look at the front of this room, and I don't think it goes there. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So getting a couple smaller seal, not, maybe not sealed, but probably sealed SVS subs and putting them on either side of the, the that couch is used as small end tables. I think makes yeah. sense to me. And you still want the big ones? You still ideally the four thousands if you're going sealed. Yeah. So or so it's even the sixteen, even the sixteen ultras, the SB sixteen ultra would be a a darn good choice. So the only speakers in this room at the moment are a pair of monitor audio in ceiling speakers that are a bit behind and to either side of the, of the L shaped couch, so surrounds. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> since his plasma's built-in speakers are completely inadequate. He tried using a Yamaha receiver because he wanted to give MusicCast a try, but er- elsewhere in the house, they use Google Assistant devices, and he's just started to, to dip his toe into Sonos. So we'd like to get a receiver that works well with Google Assistant. It could also become part of a Sonos system if he decides to go that way. Ankyo Tauso that works with Google Assistant and already has Chromecast built in, plus it works with Sonos, which does require hooking up a Sonos Connect, but once that's connected, the Sonos can, app can control the Ankyo directly. 
So, is Ankyo the way to go in his case, or is Odyssey such a big deal that he should still go with Dan and Morantz instead? And what about Pioneer? No different from Ankyo these days, right? I don't know about the Pioneer, but I have... In the, your situation, I don't care anything about room, treat, uh, room uh, correction. I mean, Completely it's not gonna, agree. It's yes. not going to do anything for you. Room correction is, I have maximized my room. I have maximized my speaker placement. I've maximized my seating distance. I've maximized all these other things. Now... I want to tweak it so it's just as perfect as it can possibly be. That's room correction. It's okay. kind of the opposite of the marketing. Is yes. the way the way Tom and I think of room correction, auto room correction, auto EQ is the opposite of the way the marketing. Oh, the marketing is like, it. oh yeah, you press a button and suddenly your system that's sounds right. like it doesn't amazing. matter that's, what that's, your room and your speakers are. We're gonna automatically fix it. I was like, no. nope. Nope, it'll do more harm than good most in those types of instances. But as the cherry on top, it can do a pretty good job. A, yeah, yeah. Uh, so no, I, 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 I would, think you are on a spot on here by going with Ankyo yes. for what you want to do. Uh, I mean, it's no slouch. I have been saying for a while now. I love what Ankyo has been doing power supply wise in their receivers because they have focused on that and they've done a good job. And you are in a space where you might be using some power. So I think you are spot on by going with that Ankyo. It has all the features you're looking for. And yeah, that that's the way to go here. Yeah. I, I, when you look at receivers or you know, receivers in particular, you, you're really looking for the most important features to you. Yeah. And the most important features to you, you have identified, but you're worried about room treatment because we're always worried about room treatment. And I, I'm <laughs> sure that you're looking at your, you're looking at your space going, boy, I could, I could really, uh, make, get some room correction. It's going to make a big difference here. That would be great if I could get that. Well, it would be great. It doesn't exist. <laughs> I mean, if you got a Trinov and, you know, all the processing power in the world, it would still, have a big problem in this room it would because <laughs> of would how be quite the challenge it would be because of all the reflections and stuff and since we're not going to fix the reflections and everything else that is a feature that just is doesn't apply to you it's like yeah. me and uh and uh air air mac where airstream what's the called mac the air apple air stream mac thing whatever i don't use it so airplay? airplay, that's it. So <laughs> I, you know, you could have it on the receiver, but it doesn't make any difference to me because I don't mm. use it. In your case, you will use your room correction to set up your distances. For distances your and trim levels. Yeah, I was actually going to say I might reckon. I mean, by all means, give it a try. Nothing harms having a listen to it and seeing right. what the Accu EQ results ended up being. But I would suspect that if you use the auto setup, let it set your distances and trim levels, but then turn it off afterwards so that it's not even applying the EQ that it came up with, I suspect you'll get better results that way. But yeah, give both a try yeah. on and off. So he likes monitor audio speakers and wants to stick with them. Up front, his wife would definitely prefer in-wall speakers, and frankly, so would he. So he figures he'll go with uh, the IW260X, which are a three-way design using dual 6.5-inch woofers, dual 4-inch mid-range drivers, and a 1-inch dome tweeter. Those three would go for about 2,500 pounds, but he, when he was then he was thinking he might splash out for the IW460, which had just replaced the dome tweeter with a ribbon tweeter, and up the local price of them to about 3,900 pounds. So as far as installation, oops, I scrolled too far. As far as installation, he mapped out where the wall studs are and with an 82 to 85 inch cardboard mock-up of the TV in place. Dude, you are my hero. Thank you. <laughs> Thank Nothing you. like seeing it for real, that's for well, sure. Well, and looking for the studs and saying, because I, I mean, I've mm -hmm. been doing this for years. I still look at the wall and say, well, put one right there. Don't even 
think to look for studs. So good job on you. Uh, he mapped out where the wall studs are, and with an 82 to 85 inch cardboard mock-up of the TV in place, the speakers could go to, go uh, either very close to each to each side or 16 inches farther out to each side. So which monitor uh, model of the monitor audio in wall speaker do we think he should go for? Which placement, narrow, wide, and do we think he should be looking at uh, totally different speakers? If you have already identified that you like these speakers, I have no problems with you going with them. Now he's got oh, these... Oh yeah, monitor these... audio is nice speakers. The rest of his house is all mono monitor audio speakers, so I'm not going to tell you to no. look at a different brand. There's no reason on that front. Yeah. So he's got these cardboard things stuck to his... If you're seeing the pictures on YouTube, he's basically put the 80... Like a big piece of cardboard up front where the, the TV yeah. would be. He's got like uh, a cardboard rectangles where the 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 left and right speaker would be mm-hmm. on the close one the left and right speaker would be on the the further one and then he's got circles on the ceiling where his overhead speakers will be so the, <laughs> the man's got this thing planned out okay so as far as the size of the speaker the ribbon versus not ribbon i think there can be an mi- argument made for the ribbon tweeter versus the non the, versus the soft dome tweeter uh i think it can be made but i don't think it's good enough to go for uh with me yeah i I mean in this case it didn't even like improve efficiency or power handling or anything it's all the same except it's dome or ribbon and if there is a way to pay a bit more and get that q80 television i would in this case i would rather save the money on the front three speakers because we're not talking some huge leap in any facet we're just talking the difference between monitor audio's dome tweeter which is already very good versus their folded ribbon tweeter which just happens to be more expensive let's let's talk about why we might want to go with one tweeter over another tweeter design so rob already mentioned one thing which is efficiency so that's all about how far away you're sitting if you're sitting so far away that uh you start to worry about the efficiency of your speaker well then going with one design regardless if it's you know soft dome or ribbon you're going for the more efficient design because you're you can get louder at your right distance now i don't know how loud you're ever going to listen to it in here but the other thing i would consider in a room like yours is directionality of the tweeter the tweeter is very directional that's actually while not so good for you know overall just i just hit the microphone again i swear uh (laughs) overall dispersion across your entire couch and everything else it does in some ways combat a little bit of the highly reflective nature of your room but you know what most people are trying to do with ribbon tweeters is what they try to do with every other tweeter which is to give it good wide horizontal dispersion so that you can cover a couch so in the case of this, you know, in, in general, in one of these uh, speakers versus the other, you can make an argument for the the more money for the the yeah. the, the more if if the if the uh, ribbon tweeter was more directional and higher efficiency, I think you could make an argument for it. But I think I still would go for the cheaper uh, speaker simply because. I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference, enough of a difference in this room, unless the efficiency is so great that you're not going to be able to hit full and, reference. And volume. it isn't. It's exactly yeah. the same. So, yeah, it, in this instance, if possible, I would be putting a little bit more towards your display. That's where it's. But I, I don't think the the room is the limiting factor here. I don't think the change in the speakers would make a yeah. uh, 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 noticeable and worthwhile difference for that price increase. 
in this case. And, and then when we look at the, the placement of the speakers, either close to the TV or a little bit further outside, I like the further outside Me placement too. better. Uh, it seems to more line up with the edges of your couch. Yes. So, you know, you're, that, that sweet spot in the center there is going to be larger. And it also seems to line up better with the overhead speakers that you have in place. So And closer to Dolby's suggestions. I mean, it's still technically too narrow given the, well, eyeballing it too narrow under Dolby's spec, but closer to it. So yeah. both Tom and I are in favor of the wider positioning of the in-wall left and right speakers. Okay. Uh, did I skip anything? I probably did. I uh, don't think so. No, that was that so. question. So he has four more monitor audio in-ceiling speakers on hand. They were originally going to be installed in a different part of the house, but they decided not to since he already has them. Should he install them as four overhead Atmos speakers? He put some cardboard on the ceiling to show where they would go. His top rears would be a little in front and a little narrower than uh, the in-ceiling, uh, existing in-ceiling surrounds. Okay, uh, I'm trying. I-, I need to see this a little bit better here. So where's the couch? There's the yeah so in the diagram oops sorry in the diagram um that's where his existing in-ceiling speakers are uh which he would you know convert to being surrounds yeah he's got the two circles there they are further back and a little wider apart and then he put up cardboard where for atmos speakers i i've got to say in this room i don't think i want to be adding any more speakers i don't want more ambient non-directional yeah. sound in here i think you're going to have too many echoes as it is and i don't want to be contributing more sound in this room i i wouldn't go for atmos in here i honestly wouldn't i would stick with the 5.1 yeah you know first of all let's placement wise it doesn't make sense to have overhead surrounds and overhead atmos speakers within feet of each other it just agreed it just doesn't make sense it's it's going to be confusing to the ear and everything else uh but rob's point is well taken just having more sound in here is not necessarily a, a great thing uh it's i would start i would definitely mushy. keep it simple in, in this yeah. one and, and we're it, plus we're trying to stay right now we're talking about so far purchase wise three front speakers what is this bug? What is happening here? <laughs> Good grief. I swear to God. Even your Florida bugs. I, I have no... The dog lets them in. Violet, it's all your fault. Um, so, I... The three up, the, the three speakers up front, we're talking mm-hmm. about buying. We're talking about a TV. And we're talking mm-hmm. about possibly selling your current sub and buying two smaller but very expensive subs as right. well. And an that. Onkyo receiver to power it all. And an Onkyo receiver. So, if... We can recoup any of these costs in some ways. Selling the monitor audio insulin that true. you're talking about would make sense. Uh, you know, anything else that you could, uh, the plasma, even uh, if you can, because I, I don't think that we're staying underneath 10 grand. Uh, I don't think it's we possible. Are. I mean, it's quite easy to go over that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, 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 I don't. I, I wouldn't be recommending installing Atmos speakers in this setup. It's no. it's not what I would do. So Jules installed in-ceiling speakers in eight other rooms. All of their wires run back to a rack space in the utility room at the moment. Uh, he's only connected two of these rooms, and both are plugged into a single Sonos Connect amp. Is it okay to have the Sonos Connect amp powering more than one pair of speakers? And what should he do to connect all the remaining zones? A separate Sonos Connect amp for each would get very expensive, or should he get four Onkyo receivers, each of which could power two zones, or should he do something else? Well, you should get a distribution amp. <laughs> yes, you should. Get. Yes, you should. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't 
no, again, you know, in the UK availability and that. What I would like you to have a look at, since this is, you know, something I'm familiar with, uh, we've talked about the uh, Monoprice distribution amp system, which is actually a rebadged version of the Dayton distribution amp system. Those do have a way of controlling it all via an app, but it's not quite, you know, as slick as what I think he's looking for. So uh, there's a company called Home Theater Direct, HTD.com. They have some very nice whole house audio distribution systems. I don't know if they're available in the UK or if they have an equivalent, but uh, if you would just like to have a look at those jewels, because that's essentially what you're going for. Though that their system does work with Sonos, which is one of the reasons I, you know, picked it out. It also works with uh, Google Assistant. Another reason I picked it out. So have a look at that because that's the sort of thing you're looking for now. In that instance, what it allows you to do is, uh, like, they have one that's a six by six, right? It'll power six stereo uh, pairs of speakers, and you can connect up to six sources and then put any source to any room, including sharing one or more sources across multiple rooms. You can do all that quite easily through the app. Um, so at that point, now you're looking at connecting Chromecast devices if you're going to do it all through Google Assistant, which is much less expensive, or uh, the less expensive Sonos. Uh, connect not the amp um, you know that you wouldn't have to amplify anything because this system is taking care of the amplification part and the organization of what source goes where so that's really what you want to do in the type of setup that you've got yeah all right ryan ryan has a 1080p projector with an 88 inch screen he's already installed a fiber optic hdmi cable when he was installing atmos speakers and all of his other gear is ready for 4k and hdr so do we think he should swap out his projector for a JVC NX5 or maybe NX7, or should he get a 77-inch OLED instead? <laughs> what? So well, he's, he's got a 1080-inch possibly going down to a 77-inch or oh, to yeah. a super nice JVC projector. I mean, I would go with the projector myself, but that's just me. I, mean, I understand. Oh, yeah. I, I understand. Okay, so let, let's just talk... Instead of specifically this dude, since this question has almost no details associated with it, <laughs> well, projector, awesome. really nice projector versus nice, o, really nice OLED. Mm-hmm. You know, whether whether we think the pros and cons of each are. I mean, clearly okay. the cost of an OLED is is high per inch, right? Diagonal, but compared to a projector, the actual cost is about the same. Because we're talking around 4500 these days for a 77-inch OLED, and then it's about $4,500 for the NX5. So right, right in the and same ballpark price-wise. Right. So the, the cost per inch is higher for the OLED than yes. it is for the yes. projector. The projector also has the ability to get bigger. I mean, 88 inches on a, uh, on a flag, not quite flagship, but really nice projector is, like, easy easy town oh, for yeah. them <laughs> they could go a lot bigger than that and so hdr you, would look hdr in that yeah. case it's it won't be if you measure the nits right, it right, won't right. be as many nits as the oled but you'll get a very good looking hdr from the jvc and i love that the jvcs have uh you know per scene per frame adaptive tone mapping now just like the oled does so that that is you're not giving up anything there really uh, so, I mean, the OLED outright does still have the best black levels because it is sure. truly black. Uh, it does in it, you know, if you measure the nits, still get brighter. But other than that, I mean, you've already got the screen. 
So it's the already big, a light the big barrier to me about projectors, when somebody says, uh, should I get a projector or should I get a, a flat screen? Well, do, yeah. what do you have now? I have a flat screen right now. Well, the big mm. barrier is the whole setup of the whole projectors, of it, the right? whole installation of a and projector. you've already taken else. care of that. Yeah. And since that, to me, I, if it were me, I would go with the projector. I, and yes, I have often said that I would really like to go with a very large flat screen rather than uh, a projector because it's just you know the better black levels and everything else. You don't have to worry about bulbs and your stupid projector and everything and all mm. that. Yes, I. But in your case, when you're talking a ten inch difference in size mm-hmm. for the same price and yeah, n- n- you know, comparable, not the same, but certainly very good performance uh, comparison. Oh, yeah. I, I'm going with the projector on this one. I have to agree. Both of us are going to vote projector here. And uh, uh, that does it, Ryan. I guess so, you're getting a new JVC. Let, let us, us know, know how, how it turns let's, out. <laughs> let us know how it turns out. Aris. Aris? Aris? Aris. Aris. He said that was correct. He, he At least I think that was... He said the third pronunciation was right. And I'm pretty sure that was Aris. Okay. <laughs> Aris just wanted to confirm that those are passive radiators on the back of his clip speakers. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember this picture. We speculated. Uh, he has confirmed for us now. Okay. I have an upside down dog. She is way asleep. Uh, and the bottom of his drywall was cut and removed because he had a flood, but everything is fine now. Okay. So that explains why. Because, okay, in this room, there's room treatments across the walls. And right below mm-hmm. the room treatments, the drywall is removed. And it's yep. like, what well, at least on? in the photo. That in the was, photo. At the time it was taken. So, so yeah. Okay. So he'd like to ask a power protection question. All of our, uh, all of his home theater gear is plugged into a Furman Elite power conditioner. Then the other side of his room, he's got a PC set up and his networking hardware, and all that's plugged into a second Furman, uh, Furman Elite unit. For the best streaming media experience, he's run a long Ethernet cable from his PC uh, to his home theater. So is that Ethernet connecting connection putting any of his gear at risk? He does get about uh, four really bad storms in his area. I'm guessing per year, not yeah, per, per year. lifetime. Yeah. Uh, okay, so yes, th- theoretically, any c- cable can carry an electrical charge. It doesn't matter if it's Ethernet or not. The electricity doesn't look at it and go, ooh, that's Ethernet, I can't go down that. Uh, <laughs> but the question is, is anything going into any gear in your system at any point that is not going through a power conditioner? And I'm looking at you, cable right. box. <laughs> yes, yeah, your, your coax TV cable, your satellite cable, cable, the the actual cable of it. Yeah, that yeah. that is probably your top suspect. Or uh, you know, what's feeding your modem? I'm assuming you have a cable modem or something. Yeah. Um. So that that is the part because I mean, if everything on one side of the room is power protected and everything on the other side of the room is power protected, and then you connect the two sides of the room together with one long Ethernet cable, that should not be a problem. That no. should be okay. But if anything on either side of the room is not actually power protected because it's connected to a coax cable that leads to your cable TV service or your cable internet service or your satellite or your aerial antenna on your roof that could get hit by lightning, that's the thing that now needs to be power protected. So I don't think your Ethernet cable is any sort of a problem. Yeah, but if you have a problem on one side of the room and not on the other, you connect the Ethernet, well, now you have a problem on both sides of your room. On both sides of your room, that's right. Yeah, there you go. Mark. Mark is using a pair of uh, Kai? Kai? I would assume it's Key. Key? I mean, it's K-I-I, so I assume it's Key. Never heard of these things. I haven't either. Key 3 speakers, which are self-powered, six N-Core amps in each speaker, all DSP controlled. 
which they all are. Uh, he can connect the optical output of, of his LG OLED to the key controller, which then connects to the key three speakers via Cat5 cables. But he also has the option to input analog signals via XLR. At the moment, he is not looking to add a center speaker or a sub, but he would like to add a pair of surround speakers. He absolutely does not want to run these speaker wires, though. All right. So is there an AV receiver or pre-pro that would let him have wireless surrounds and still work with his K3 speakers? Uh, well, MusicCast is your solution there. It or, is Yamaha. I mean, if he's just looking for a straight receiver, then it's Yamaha. But if, you, if you're looking for a solution, any receiver plus a wireless speaker kit. Right. You, you could go with Amphony. Amphony yeah. is a way to convert any pair of speakers, passive speakers. Well, either or. Amphony has solutions both that are just sending the signal, which could then feed some powered speakers, or they have uh, a nice and almost unique uh, offering, which is two separate units, so one can sit beside each speaker, which is a Class D amplifier and a wireless signal receiving unit. Those can sit next to each surround speaker and power any pair of speakers that you would like. So Amphony could be a solution for you here, but you could also just go with a current generation. It has to be from 2019 Yamaha receiver because they allow you to uh, use a pair of music cast speakers as wireless surrounds. That's a new feature they added this year. It's something we've wanted them to do for ages and they finally did it. In your case, I would recommend going with the RXA 880 because that is the model that gives you a full set of pre-outs. Now, they are RCA pre-outs, but nothing is preventing you from using an RCA to XLR cable. Uh, the key connect is entirely capable of accepting the RCA level signal versus mm. the higher powered uh, pro level XLR uh uh, signal. There's no problem there, so it would just be a matter of getting to RCA to XLR cables. And then if you do ever decide to add a center speaker in the future, and it's another one of these key speakers, you'll have the pre-out ready to go from that RXA880 from Yamaha. So that's the solution there. Or if you're just like, I would just rather have my own set of speakers and power them wirelessly, Amphony can be a solution for you there. Tate. Tate owns a bunch of movies in iTunes. He also has his own local server for disk backups. Is there a way to download all of his iTunes movies onto his local server and have them play all from one interface? Is there any way to download the 4K versions? And would he be able to retain the Dolby Digital Plus and Atmos audio? So when you own... Okay, it has been a long time since I've bought anything from iTunes that was not music. But mm -hmm. don't when you buy something from iTunes, doesn't it download onto your computer? Isn't it accessible there? Well, when it comes to movies, uh, it doesn't automatically download. You have the option to download movies that you've purchased on iTunes, but only the 1080p version. Okay. There is no option to download the 4K version from iTunes. And if it has Atmos Audio, the Atmos Audio only comes with the 4K version. You do not get Atmos Audio with any of the 1080p versions. Mm. So in answer to those questions, you won't be able to download them from iTunes. Now, even if you did download them and you were satisfied with 1080p and 5.1 audio, uh, it's packed full of DRM that will not let it play on. I don't know if he has Plex or Kodi or MB, but he's got his own server. Let's just say it's Plex. It won't play in any of those. You can't um, strip the DRM. 
So that's what you would have to do. There are programs that will strip the DRM and convert it from an M4V file into an MKV or an MP4 file that any of, you know, Plex or Cody or whatever will play nicely. Um, naturally, that is not anything supported by Apple. <laughs> they don't want you to do it. Uh, we should probably cover our behinds on a legal front and say, don't do it because uh, I'm sure there are legal things to do with removing DRM. Uh, but it is a fact that such things exist if you want to go looking for them yourself. Uh, now, over on Plex's own forums, there are, of course, a multitude of people who want to do this exact thing. They're like, I have my own Plex library, and then I've purchased movies in iTunes, and I want to have them all together. I don't want to have to bounce between to see what I own where. Mm. Uh, other than the... DRM removal and conversion thing so that you can actually put it into your Plex library, which again, it won't be the 4K version, it won't be the Atmos version, so right away that's probably a non-starter for Tate, uh, but other than doing that, what you can do is within Plex, you can basically create dummy titles now, nothing's going to play, right? You'll have a poster there that says, okay, this is a movie that I own. You'll click on that poster and there's nothing there for it to play. And what some people have done is they create a short little video file that is what's going to play when they click on that movie poster. But all it does is bring up a thing on screen that says, this title is available in iTunes, you know, switch over to iTunes and watch it there or Apple movies as the case may be. It's like, you know, obviously for you, you would you would know, but for you know someone else using the system, right. uh, if that's what this is about, it would say, okay, yeah, we own this movie; it's available to watch, but you'll have to go do it in Apple Movies because uh, that's where it resides. But at least it brings it into the library so that you see everything that you own in one interface. But other than that, um, there isn't really a great solution for this because it's all packed full of DRM. Yay! Yeah, Adam. <laughs> First, Adam would like to make sure that he correctly understands the capabilities of the AV receivers he's considering. He's looking to buy either a Denon X3600H or a 4500H, which is less expensive uh, when he's ready to buy. Whichever is less expensive when he's ready to buy. Both of them come with nine amplifiers built in, correct? Yes, correct. That sounds right to me. Yeah, so be careful. It is the 3600H. If you go back one model year to the 3500H, it topped out at seven speakers and couldn't do any more. But the 3600H is an upgrade. And what? And that would mean he could set up either a 7.2.2 or a 5.2.4 Atmos configuration with either of those receivers models all by itself. Yes? That's yes. A, I don't think that yes, there's anybody... Yes, that is correct. ...that requires... Th- that you can have nine and then not do two if you want to. And in both cases, he could later add a separate two-channel amplifier and expand to 7.2.4 setup. Does does he have all of that correct? I don't know about that last part. You are correct, Adam. Both the X3600H and the X4500H allow you to run 11 speakers, but it can only power nine of them itself, and you would have to add at least two channels of external amplification. I did want to mention one little thing. Let's say... He begins with a 5.2.4 setup that is all being powered by one of these receivers. Yeah. And then he later wants to add the two more to turn it into 7.2.4. Okay. In the setup menus, you have to specify two out of the now 11 speakers must be powered externally. That's going to be the front, left, and right, or the top middles. (laughs) 
I think or the yeah, top rears or rear heights, the, the rearmost overheads. That restriction is yeah. still there. So uh, it's not a problem. It would mean you'd have to do a little bit of rewiring because at the moment you would have your front left right speakers and your top rear or rear height or possibly top middle speakers uh, all connected to the Den and AV receiver. When you get the two-channel amp and expand to seven, you would have to do some rewiring where you either now power your front left right speakers externally, so you'd have to unplug them from the AV receiver and plug it into the external amp and plug the external amp into the pre-outs, or the rearmost overhead speakers you would have to rewire. If you did 7.2.2 to start, which I wouldn't recommend, we'll get into that later, but if you did that to start, uh, theoretically you wouldn't have to rewire because you might be adding the rearmost overhead speakers. Those are the, the ones you're Which would be adding, weird. So. <laughs> that would be it, a weird configuration. This is just <laughs> unplugging something from the speaker binding posts of your AV receiver and plugging it into the external amp instead. So not the end of the world, but just something to be a little aware of. Because, Tom, you ran into that yourself, right? I Where did. You're like, I'm just going to plug these into my, what was it, surround backs or something you were going to do? I was going to do like, surround backs, yeah. And they were like, nope. nope <laughs> like, it's got to be top That's not an option. What? <laughs> so Adam previously asked about uh, asked us about screen size and room orientation. His room will end up being roughly 13 feet wide and 15 feet long. Only one door, so it can be closed. During the width, uh, due to the width of his room and where his door is placed, we strongly recommended uh, that he go with the 120-inch projection screen size instead of the 135 he initially wanted. And we said to just move his couch closer if he wanted the larger field of view. In the end, we figured he'd roughly have about four feet of space behind his seats. So, what Atmos configuration would be not crazy in his room? Can he do 7.2.4, or should he just stick with 5.2.4? And what about 7.2.2? Is that worth considering? The last one is a no. Do not do that but no i i want you to have four overhead speakers if you're going to do atmos uh, otherwise there is no way to pan sounds forward and back with only two speakers above you so yeah. have four speakers overhead that should be a lot i like 5.2.4 <laughs> i know you do <laughs> i i prefer it i don't think that you know the uh i, I don't really think that you need surround backs in, in a room that's only going to be 15 <laughs> feet deep you're gonna be four feet off the back wall i don't really see that you're going to get that much out of surround backs yeah i mean i have to agree i don't know that you're going to get that much out of it what i would say is you're you're right at the threshold of i won't i wouldn't stop you from putting in surround back if you have four feet from the back of your couch to the actual back wall that is to me the minimum amount of space that i would ever recommend actually installing surround back so you could you're at the minimum adam (laughs) but if you end up with your seat actually closer to the back wall than four feet. Because in his initial plans, it's like this quite large L-shaped couch that he wanted to have in here. And, you know, there's aesthetics to consider in that and don't necessarily want all that space behind. So if you find yourself in a situation where your seat ends up being closer than four feet to the back wall, then forego the surround back speakers at that point. Uh, But you know what? You're going to be starting with 5.2.4, it sounds like, no matter what, potentially adding the surround back speakers later and uh yeah i think that's fine but uh but stick with the four overheads start with that yeah the 7.2.2 doesn't make any sense to me ever really but uh, i mean (laughs) if you did you would do top middles i mean i I don't see why you would do any other speaker up there which means that you'd be relegated to doing front heights uh Later on. later on, which I, I we're going to talk about in a second here. So if he we does are. end up installing surround back speakers, they'll be pretty close to the back of his couch no matter what. Does that mean he should avoid top rear or rear height? 
uh, Atmos speakers? And would it be better to have front heights and uh, top middles? What Atmos configuration would we recommend in his case? Well, no surround backs and uh, front heights and rear heights. Is that what it is? Or front top fronts and top rears? That's what it is. Yeah, because I mean, normally we recommend that the if you do top fronts and top rears which is i mean that's like dolby's sort of de facto they're yeah. like that that's what we would have you do and then if you can't do that okay here are some alternatives uh but they basically want you to have top fronts and top rears ideally they would sort of have it at a 45 degree elevation angle in front of you and behind you which with a standard eight foot ceiling is typically going to be about five feet in front of you five feet behind you and with the angles that are allowed you can basically go from about three feet in front of you three feet behind you to upwards of like seven or eight feet in front of you, seven or eight feet behind you. That's all within the recommended range of elevation angles. Now, again, he's only got about four feet behind him. And I wouldn't necessarily have speakers like in or on the ceiling literally pressed against the back wall. I would want them like a foot away from the back wall. Well, if you're going to do that, you would get the uh, prime elevation speakers and put them back there. You definitely could, uh, which would mean they probably look more like rear heights, but you would still call them top, top rears because yeah. angle-wise, that's what they would be. So, yeah, I'm. I would go top fronts, top rears. Uh, I would have your top rears either like in the ceiling, but about three feet behind you, or like a foot away from the back wall is what I'm saying. Or I like Tom's idea of something like prime elevation speakers, the angle type of speakers. They're high up on your back wall. You'd still call them top rears because angle-wise, that's what they are. And then, yeah, like uh, somewhere in the range of three to five feet in front of you on or in your ceiling are your top fronts. And that's what you do. Yeah. And it does make those surround backs like... Maybe even less of a consideration at that point. Save your money, man. <laughs> Brandon. Brandon is shopping for his forever speakers. And on a recommendation, he bought a pair of Ascens... My recommendation. Ascens Sierra Towers with the Ryle Ribbon Tweeters to addition against his Golden Ear Triton 2 Towers. Uh, when we last talked about this setup, we said that his room was likely to be the limiting factor at this point, and he, uh, and he is also sitting far enough away that he has a legitimate case for using a higher, higher wattage amplifier. So he invested in the Marantz SR7011 receiver plus monolith 5-channel amp. He, uh, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure that's what we said it to. He also began <laughs> some room treatments, although he hasn't completed things on that front. Still more room treatments to be added. Once the upgraded amplification was installed, he felt the Ascend speakers were the clear winners versus the golden ears. The Ascends either equaled or best the golden years in every way in his opinion but he still has not decided to give this sense a permanent home in his setup he mm-hmm. wants to be completely satisfied with his speakers and on some songs he feels that the mid-range of the sense lacks uh presence whatever that is that is the word that or, is the subjective term used presence or perhaps the mid-range sounds a bit muddy and it isn't with that way with every song so do we think that completing his room treatment installation will further improve the mid-range clarity and enhance mid-range presence it could I I don't know what you mean by it. Uh, When you're talking about clarity or like, I would consider, okay, something sounding a bit muddy or unclear. To me, that is difficulty delineating sounds or sounds seemingly smearing together. And certainly for something like that, uh, more room treatments could potentially have like that would be the type of thing where if someone said i added room treatments and it enhanced the sense of clarity and delineation in the mid-range i'd be like that is not shocking that is exactly what they should do that's what we're hoping well for. not necessarily specifically for the mid-range but it should do it for all the you know, the, the entire experience yeah. should be clearer <laughs> that's the whole yes. idea of adding room treatments 
so so that is something where um like don't go getting rid of the ascends until you've completed your room treatment plan because it could it could like would I say even likely? Verging on likely improve the clarity of the sound. That's what we're hoping acoustic treatments will do in almost all cases. But the presence, which is a very subjective term, and I think I know what he means. It's that sort of, um, I don't know, Sometimes some people might call it slightly forward or just the, uh, the realism, right? That uncanny realism that it's a real voice floating in your room. Maybe that's sort of what you're going for. That is the type of thing where a little touch of EQ might right. be all you need to give you what you're looking for, which the SR7011 can use the Odyssey Editor app, and that is something you could absolutely uh, equalize into these speakers because the Ascends, those Sierra uh, Ribbon uh, Towers, they are exceedingly linear and neutral, uh, which is why I like them so much. And it's also why I say, if you don't like what you're hearing from them, it's almost certainly not the speaker's fault. They're just telling it like it is, and your room is doing whatever is coming out of those speakers. It's affecting that, and that's part of that, which we've already addressed. But it also means, like, I know... You might have preferences, too. That You might have preferences. Yeah, especially after listening to Golden Ears for so long. Sure. uh, That's going to affect the way that you hear things. Sure. I know if I went through that uh, Harman How to Listen uh, program, which is a great program. If you got the time, it's it's a quite fun and very educational thing to go through is the Harman How to Listen. Um, and I know that uh, it, it got very challenging <laughs> going through that thing. I certainly wasn't able to nail things on the first try a lot of the times getting into that program. But uh, aside from identifying uh, you know, some uh, little bit of coloration in the sound, even a little bit of distortion in the sound sometimes like that. If I focused on what I liked as opposed to just trying to identify the task uh, during during that program, I almost always preferred, just on a subjective I like this more level, a little bit colored sound, which mm. was tended to be a, a slight mid-range emphasis. Almost exactly what I think you're looking for. Um, and there's no nothing wrong with that. If you're like, that's what I prefer, that's fine, but that's exactly what equalization can give you. So I think the speakers are probably pretty safe and uh, finish your room treatments and maybe play with that uh, Odyssey I mean, Editor app a little. There's a lot of caveats here, too. It's like, I, I, we don't know exactly what his room treatment plans are, you know, as far as yeah, well, where he Well, I think we went over, things. but I don't recall the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, I don't remember <laughs> it either. I mean, yeah. so let, let's just say in general, you know, somebody's <laughs> like, I'm going to put 20 room treatments in my room. Great. That should fix your problems. I've done it, and it hasn't fixed my problems. Well, where are your room treatments? Well, they're all behind the front two speakers. Well, <laughs> maybe <laughs> spread them out then, a little bit. And this is know? more like a case of, you know, I, I plan for whatever, and I've done half of it or a quarter of it. Right. I'm still intending to do more. And so yeah. until you have completed that, I wouldn't I don't know what the return, the you know, I would definitely, it, it, I would have recommended to get the room treatments done first before you started auditioning, but where that ship has sailed so sure. you know, definitely get get those things done and then listen to the two speakers side by side uh as much as you can and realize that golden ears aren't trying to be linear and they're and again right. as much as we're as we talk about how we prefer linear it's not a problem that someone doesn't or that a speaker isn't trying to be linear you know i mean i have been on record multiple times saying, I like the way Golden Ear speakers sound. I can recognize that they are not 
perfectly linear that that's not what they're aiming for but i like how they've tuned their speakers so yeah and there's nothing wrong with that and if you like it no. there's nothing wrong with sticking with it either but yeah. if, you know usually with the the reason we like linear speakers is because it takes the speaker out of the equation when we start talking about problems and it also mm-hmm. gives you the ability to say hey i don't like a linear speaker i have a linear speaker and i also have eq let me just now I can tweak it to make it whatever I want it to be. Exactly. Without having uh, to worry about whatever weird interactions you might get because the speaker wasn't linear to begin with. You know, it's Indeed. easy to push a flat line around and make it a hump, but it's hard <laughs> to take a humpy line and try to adjust it into something flat. But we so, also didn't even address um, how much of this is the the source material. I mean, in his email, sure. I didn't put all of this in there because there's already a lot, lot of text, but he was like, it's mostly with, you know, certain bands or certain albums. And, you know, he, he's looking for this, in his words, better sense of presence from the mid-range or better clarity. But it's sure. like, he also said, it's not every album. It's not every song. And maybe you're just actually hearing them for what they truly are, these recordings. Right. Maybe for the first time. And for a, <laughs> you know, for a very dramatic example of this, listen to an album in your car and then take it, take it into your house right. and listen to your home theater or listen to it through a, hair, a pair of headphones. It's a completely different experience. It's mm-hmm. not even close. Uh, and that's why we have, you know, some, some, uh, some albums I really like listening to or songs I really like listening to in the car because they're, uh, they're uh, dynamic range compressed all the hell. Mm-hmm. So they're just loud. And when I turn the volume up, I can hear every word. It doesn't like fade out every once in a while. In some albums, I'm like, I can't listen to this in the car because, you know, it gets so quiet and I got to turn the volume up and then it gets loud again. I got to turn the volume down because the dynamic range is there. Something I would love to have in my home theater or in headphones, but something that is, is, it's just not feasible inside of a car because of the, the, the noise floor that's in there. So, you know, in some, let's just face it, some albums aren't recorded very well. You know? Well, yeah, and, and he also mentioned in his email, he was, he was saying how, you know, he, he's doing his best to make sure that um, the quality of his source material sure. isn't, you know, like the hindering factor. But this isn't as simple as like, let's say, oh, I've got this album I like, but I bought the 128 kilobit MP3 version, you know, ages ago. And so I suspect, okay, maybe it's a quality thing. So now I went and got the, uh, I went crazy and I went and got the high res version, the 96 kilobit, right, right, right. 20, you know, uh, 24 bit version of it or something like that. So now I feel confident that I got a good version of this album. Well, on a, on a technical level where, okay, now it's lossless, that could be true, but it still doesn't mean that the original recording itself just didn't actually contain this mid-range presence that you would prefer to be there. You might actually just being hearing what that recording truly is. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a bit tough to say. This is the part I where in your fully... review you say, oh, I'm, I'm hearing my albums for the first time again. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but it's tough to say, I want to be fully satisfied with my speakers, and that equates to me liking the way they sound with everything those aren't necessarily the same thing right right in my case i want speakers that tell it like it is so i can then evaluate the recordings themselves and say you know what i love this song but i don't like this particular recording of this song and i can tell that it is the recording's fault because i know my speakers aren't to blame that can be the case you know uh, when i'm listening to pandora in the car you know which by the way it's not streaming from 
you know, a hardwired whatever, you know, it's it, it who knows what file size I'm getting on that. Yeah. You know, a lot of, <laughs> I, I think it sounds great. I think Pandora sounds fantastic. But I start streaming it inside the house with headphones on <laughs> and I'm like, what is with this bass? You know, it, it just sounds like a, a like a, the bass drum it just sounds like Shh. I mean, it doesn't even really it, it it sounds like the upper harmonics of bass. But not sure. the actual base. Like, when we're talking lossy, we're like, yes, something is has been lost. Something yeah. is missing. <laughs> so he says, if he decides to continue auditioning other speakers, his thoughts are RBH signature and signature reference and Focal Electra BE or Bs. Do we think any of these might be a step up from the Essentia Rao Towers? Are the RBH signature series an obvious step up over the Impression Elite series? Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> are the signature reference with their folded ribbon tweeters a better option than the regular signature series? I think that's a that's a bit harder to nail that's down a, exactly. But that's I, a debatable. However, they also changed the woofers in the reference series. Yeah. So it's all the drivers and the crossovers have been changed. The only thing that stayed the same were the uh, cabinets. Yeah. <laughs> Everything else got changed. I would say that you know that between you know if you a bead. The elites, uh, uh, impression elites, and the signature reference, you would okay. You would be able to really clearly hear the difference, but if you yeah, you'd be able to tell them apart. Yep. If you took the signature uh, reference and the signature regular signature series and put them side by side, I think you could tell a difference. I think it'd be a lot harder. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I think you'd be able to tell the difference. Yeah. yeah. So what about the Focal Electra B speakers with the beryllium tweeters? I know that Rob has said that. Uh, that those are a step up from the ascends, but the ascends get so close to those without, you know, by I mean, saving so much money doing so that it was hard to justify. Uh, yeah, and I, I'm not even sure I would say they're a, a, a step up. I, I think they're quite comparable. They're not the same. There's a there's a difference between comparable level of quality and same because they are not the same. I wouldn't. You know, put them side by side, AB, compare them and no, say, no. oh, these are the same speaker, but they're like a comparable level of quality, uh, but with a huge price advantage on the Ascend side. Uh, all of these are very nice speakers. None well, and they... all of them focus on really fairly flat linear yes. response. So, yeah. you know, we're going to be Fast talking... transient response, good delineation, all I mean, of it. Basically... You know, stand in, put the speakers in a circle around you, close your eyes, spin around, and then <laughs> stop and point. And that's the speaker you buy. You, you're going to get a good speaker. That's you know? true. It's, it's also really tough when you are evaluating it on albums that you like. Because yeah. I, here's the thing. I don't think we're ever going to get you to a pair of speakers where you literally love the way every album sounds. Because some albums aren't that great. Yeah. <laughs> like they haven't been recorded so, that well and that's not the speaker's fault they're just telling it like it is we haven't talked about this in a long time but uh, as far as auditioning speakers what i've always done and i know that rob does this as well is i don't have albums that i listen to that mm. i take someplace i have songs that i know uh, test certain aspects of speakers or uh, yeah. show off certain aspects of speakers and if the speaker does it well then i know it can do it well if it doesn't do it well then i know it doesn't do it i listen to parts of songs bits yeah. of songs you know i'm listening to the first you know 10 seconds of a song because i know there's a note in there that's very hard for most speaker speakers to represent you know, to, to recreate 
uh, properly. And if I hear it, then I know the speaker can do it. And if I don't hear it, I don't do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, then I move on. And that's part of you know, the evaluation process. And we've talked many times about the you know different things. But really, reading reviews, and you got to be careful whose reviews you're reading. But yeah. <laughs> uh, reading reviews of, you will see constant albums and songs come up over and over again in different sure. people's reviews that tells you that there's something within that song that will uh test a speaker in some way mm-hmm. so saying like I, and i've been in uh like i won't call it a shootout but it was like a kind of a casual guy invited a bunch of people to his house to listen to a bunch of different speakers and you know we're all sitting there listening and I'm putting on all this weird stuff and people are like, Oh, this sucks. I'm like, yeah, it sucks. But you know what it does? It tests to see whether or not it, the speaker <laughs> yep. images. So yeah, they're like, okay, well when you're done, we're going to put on some ZZ top. I'm like, what is that going to tell you? You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I've never listened to an entire ZZ top album, but I can't imagine that it is, you know, really good test material for speakers. I mean, <laughs> you can like it. I got no problems Absolutely. with that, but you know, that's not testing what the speaker can do. So, yeah, th- I mean, this is a case of it's almost the what is your personal definition of what satisfies me with a purchase, what satisfies me with a speaker? Because if what will satisfy you is only a speaker that makes you like everything that you hear, that's very different from my personal definition. Right. I'm satisfied with a speaker where I feel confident that I'm hearing what is actually on the recording, whether I happen to like what I'm hearing or not, because I don't like everything and I'm hearing every if, time. Okay, so we're like way we're way putting a bunch of things in this guy's mouth that oh, yes. he's not saying. So let's just <laughs> like get away from answering him specifically. But in general, if if you're like, I don't want to have a speaker that's going to highlight the faults in all my recordings. Mm. I want to have a good experience no matter what. I mean, yep. this is what Beats by Dr. Dre is all about. Like, I want to have bass. <laughs> well, not for me, but... <laughs> I want to have bass in every recording. Bass right, is the most go. important yeah. thing to me. I want bass. If there's no bass, I want bass anyways. Add some bass. I want bass. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing wrong with going and saying, okay, this is a speaker, like auditioning a speaker and saying, you know, this is not a linear speaker. This speaker is not ever yeah. meant to be linear. A Bang & Olufsen, they have a signature sound. Uh, B&W, you know, which is obviously widely favored by many people. That's right. They have a signature sound. And mm-hmm. what they're trying to do is give you that experience of, no matter what I put in here, the parts that I like about it, the parts that are important to me, the mid-range, the bass, the whatever it is that they that they have a little hump on in their frequency mm-hmm. response, will always be accentuated. Therefore, you will always like it. There's nothing wrong with you going, that's what I want. I want that. Yep. And then going out and buying it. What I have a problem with is when people say this is the best speaker ever because it makes everything sound good to me (laughs) no it is not objectively the best speaker ever but it is the best speaker for you and that's okay as long as we're all on the same page and realize that our speakers are technically better than yours and this is almost (laughs) making us say because i mean when we talk about rbh and we talk about ascend we we often mention them in the same sentence and the same phrase because (laughs) both of them are very linear very neutral tell it like it is speakers which means there's a chance you'll have a preference between the two of them but there's a higher likelihood in our opinion that you'll be like man this is splitting hairs and i'm going for the the cheaper i'm gonna go for the cheapest one and i don't think there's anything wrong with that i mean no but but yes, I, I absolutely agree. If you put all these speakers in the room together, yeah, I would yeah. listen to them all and go, what's the price tag? 
I'll yeah. take that one. <laughs> but it's all we're also getting into maybe, maybe what he really wants is something that's a little bit colored. And that's okay. Which means it's getting away from these brands. I mean, I'll just go ahead and answer his next question. Anything else we think he should audition? I have Legacy on that list because yeah. that's another one where it's like, that's going to be a a... Tell it like it is, vivid, exceedingly clear, delineated speaker that you very well might love, uh, perhaps even more than the Ascends, and pay more for but it. But maybe spend some time auditioning, you know, be, yeah. uh, uh, B&Ws, yeah. maybe some Bang & Olsons, if, yeah. if, if he can afford them. Jesus, that's really expensive. <laughs> now, uh, but I mean, but now there's we're other ones, too. The- there's, there's tons of, of you know audiophile speakers and basically right. they all have a sound they all are and it could be something, something like monitor audio that we like a lot yeah you know and and that's going to be so now we're unfortunately uh, opening up a can of worms of it, it could be anything but before you get to any of that finish your room, room treatments, treatments play with the eq because you've already got it so there's no reason not to go ahead and play with it because you very well might end up exactly where you want to be with what you already have sorry <laughs> he's crying right now. He said, "Sometimes he's got, he's we're got Those sons of bitches. Oh no! Oh no! There might be something out there. I have to audition everything now. You That's monsters! Right. <laughs> Curse you, Robin Tom. <laughs> Sorry, Violet. Some people do. Up. That's common on YouTube. Yeah, it is. Infinite Gary. Uh, CES 2020 isn't far, very far away now. Thank God I'm not going because it's always on my anniversary. So <laughs> no think yeah. What do we think will be shown on the TV front? And will it actually come to market in 2020? Do we think CES, CES 2020 will be one of those years where we only see a bunch of prototypes? We always see a bunch of prototypes. And we always think yeah. stuff that's coming on the market this year. So, 8K. Yes. We're going to see a bunch of 8K, yep. Gary. Yep. I'm quite confident yep. in that prediction. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of 8K prototypes. And there may be one that's going to hit the market at the end of 2020. And Well, uh, I mean, we've already got 8K TVs on the market. So I uh, okay, HDMI 2.1. I think 2020 is the year of HDMI 2.1. I think Thank we will God. see a lot of TV models announced with HDMI 2.1, actual full 48 gigabit per second HDMI 2.1 ports. If LG managed to put it in their TVs this year, everybody else is going to have it in their TVs next year. So I'm I'm confident of those. I think we will see more transparent televisions as well. We've seen some of those prototypes at the tail end of this We're year. We're going to see a bunch of folding screens too for phones. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a thing that we're going to be talking yep. a lot about. And, uh, I mean, there was already somebody, uh, I, I forget if it was Hisense or one of those companies, uh, also had a, a smaller rolling OLED, you know, like LG had their oh, right. rolling OLED this year. So, yep, that type, but I've, uh, pretty standard. But I, I think there's that's going to be some sort see. of micro LED thing that somebody's going to show off to. It's going to be Oh, new. sure. So Gary was watching a recording of a concert. It was on DVD, not Blu-ray. He brought up his pre-pros info screen and said the audio format is Dolby Digital Stereo. Is that an actual audio format? Gary thought Dolby Digital was always 5.1. No, it can be stereo. It can be mono. <laughs> it wants to be, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dolby yeah. Digital is just a uh, It's a codec. Yeah. It's a coder-decoder scheme. It is lossy. Information is lost. It's similar to, let's say, AC, um, uh, AAC. Right, sure. AAC audio. That's a lossy format. Information is lost, but you can have AAC mono. You can have AAC stereo. You can have AAC five point one, and you can have all of those things in Dolby Digital as well. So the info screen also says this concert uh, DVD video is MPEG two sixty i. So it isn't four eighty p. 
And why would the DVD have a 60i video on it? Because that's what all DVDs had. They were all interlaced, weren't they? They all were. DVD was a standard definition format. It didn't have 480p on it. 480p was, you might remember this, enhanced definition, which was something that your DVD player, your progressive scan DVD player, or your television might do. But it's not what was on the discs themselves. The discs were standard definition. Uh, Often the very strange aspect ratio of 720 by 480, which is not 16 by 9 or 4 by 3. That's where the whole anamorphic on the back of the DVD case came in because it was actually squished pixels that got stretched by the players. Uh, but yeah, DVDs were all 60... Well, not all. Some of them were like 25 because they were PAL or something like right. that. Um, but yeah, they, they were encoded in uh, interlaced format. That's right. And then that's why 3-2 pull-down was such a big deal. You had the had reverse that... Telecina. Remember yeah. Telecina? That was yeah. back when it, uh, reviewing uh, players actually required some reviewing yeah <laughs> now there was stuff the players really had to do they had then. to do something other than just shoot out all the bits in the correct order which <laughs> nowadays it's it's you know if it, if it's a 4k player and it puts out 4k it's what it does yeah. i mean there is no interlacing or de-interlacing or pull down or anything else so like well how does it do with dvds who cares who's watching the dvd on the here DVD? are the bits here yeah. they are <laughs> i've done it i have done my thing that's right would you like the bits? Here they are. Patricio. Patricio followed a lot of our advice on his 11.5 foot wide by 14.5 foot long by 11 foot high theater uh, room. He's got an Epson 8350 with a 106 inch screen. He's got dual SVS PB 1000 subs and he's used Rob's 12 step guide to set them up. They can shake his whole room. And he bought yeah. a Marantz SR6012 receiver from Accessories for Less and added a Dayton 2 channel amp to expand to 7.2.4. Okay. That does sound like an AV Rant Murderer's Row of stuff. It pretty much does. Let me see here. SBS check. Uh, Marantz check. Epson check. Yep. Accessories for Less check. Accessories for Less. And Dayton, Dayton check. Yep. Yes. There you go. Stop stealing my stuff. Except I have a Denon. He's using a Klipsch, uh, using Klipsch Quintet speakers, which he bought before listening to AV Rant, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> this <is> LCR up front. <laughs> I love They're fine. And uh, his surround back speakers. Overhead, he's installed four mica. There they are. In ceiling mm-hmm. speakers. And on the side walls, he went for a pair of Kef. There they are. T101 on walls, since their super flat design saved him some space. For movies, he is very happy with the sound. It is clean, clear, and plenty loud, which we would expect. English is not his first language, but he never feels a need to turn on the subtitles when he's in his theater because the vocal clarity is excellent. In his bedroom... He needs subtitles. But when he listens to music and upmixes the audio to take advantage of all 11 of his speakers, he's noticed the sound coming from his Kef speakers on the sidewalls is a bit distracting. It isn't really better or worse. It's just different. Is that the famous timbre uh, that we keep, uh, we mentioned so often, the timbre matching of speakers? He calibrated mm-hmm. his system with Odyssey Multi-Q XC32, and he's using Dynamic EQ. So why does he perceive this difference in sound from the Kefs? Are you using the TS up mixer or Dolby Surround up mixer? Because that can make a difference depending on how they do that. But it definitely could be a timbre thing. Mm-hmm. I, I would hope that the level matching was done correctly because that would be that my first obvious suspect would be shouldn't the, be a problem. Like the, the surrounds the would be too hot. 
Yeah, the size of the room, how close all of these speakers are as a result, there shouldn't be a problem in terms of like just efficiency, which is something we worry about whenever you're mixing Klipsch with anything else. But that shouldn't be an issue in this case. Like if anything, it's just knocking the Klipsch speakers down to equal the micas and the calves. Right. And that shouldn't be any type of issue there. Uh, I mean, you could look in your, you could look in your, um, uh, your trim levels that was set by Odyssey and see sure. if anything looks really askew. Unless something's at negative 12 or plus 12 or something like that, or 10, whatever the maximum And you is. can also just go ahead and play the manual test tones, you know, where it lets you go through each speaker one at a time and just confirm to your own ears that that pink noise does sound like it's coming out at the same volume from each speaker position. That's, that's a perfectly fine thing to just confirm for yourself. But it's absolutely possible that this is just a timbre mismatch because clipshes do not sound like calves. That is, that is a fact. <laughs> and it, 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 that can be jarring as it goes around yeah. the room. I mean, it, when it, it shouldn't happen all the time. I mean, it shouldn't be like every time your, your, your surround speakers make a noise, it shouldn't be totally But obvious. it isn't. Like in movies, he's perfectly happy because those are discrete sounds. Stuff was mixed right. specifically into the surrounds and the fronts and the backs. But when it's music, then it's the up mixer. It's expanding what was really only in the front left right channels right. to all the speakers. And he's like, well, now that that sound is being wrapped around into these surrounds, something's... Like he says, it's not better. It's not worse. It's just it doesn't sound the same as the fronts. And I'm like, yeah, that does sound like it's just a timbre mismatch, which is not shocking in this case. So he's happy with his quintet... Uh, his clips quintet's front speakers but the, if he wants a perfect sounding blend while listening to music should he upgrade his front three if he does should he cons- should he only consider a clef I mean I don't think you have to only consider a clef but if you found yourself to be and I mean I, I know that you've saved yourself some, some room on the sides with these clef speakers because they are very mm-hmm. flat but you know yep. there was some design compromises they had to take in order to make those speakers so flat so it's almost as if you would want to have the same speakers up front as you have yeah. in the surrounds. I don't yeah. know that I would just grab any old you know floor standing kef speaker and say oh this will sound the same it there Agreed. may be still a timbre mismatch there so you may want to look at just your your system as a whole and figure out you know you know, do can I put some more clips on the sides? Because if I can, then maybe that's and the, the cheapest thing option. Is now Klipsch does have so first of all, Klipsch has some not quite as thin as the T series from Kef because they are as thin as speakers can possibly get. They're shockingly thin. Yeah. Uh, but Klipsch does have some quite thin. They're like I think three and a half inch deep. Uh, you know, flush mount on wall speakers. Right. That's one option, which will just make everything clipsch. They also have uh, their, you know, they look like prime elevation speakers are the ones with the built-in angle right. that you can either use as up-firing or you can mount them on a wall and they'll just angle in. So clipsch has on-wall options that might work. That might be less expensive to replace your Kef T-series speakers, which you can definitely sell right. and get money back. It might be cheaper to replace those than to replace all three of your front speakers with, and I would say, as Tom just alluded to, Kef T-series, not just Kef, Kef T-series front three. Right, because whenever you have a speaker that's got a really unusual design like that, no matter who the speaker yeah. manufacturer is, even if it's you know RBH who really strives to have all their speakers have their signature flat sound they all are supposed to play really well together you know if they have a unusual design a, a very they had for a while a very long thin on wall that mm. uh you know 
I, they stopped making fairly soon after they started making <laughs> it. And I think it's because it didn't sound as like an, the rest like of the their rest speakers, of their basically. speakers. Yeah. So I, you know, whenever you have a speaker like this, like this T series, you know, we want to be able to say, oh yeah, just grab another speaker from the same brand and you'll be fine. But when you make those kind of design compromises, a lot of times you do what you can. And if you try to get something that's a more normal speaker design, it's not going to sound the same. So he lastly asked, could he get the Kef Q150 speakers uh, at a price uh, that he can afford? He's got he's got some on sale or something that he can get. Should yeah. he get them? And I, I really... I, I really don't think so. I, I'll be honest with you. I don't think that that's a good idea. I think you either have to go T-Series all the way around, which is expensive, mm-hmm. or you could think about getting rid of the T-Series and uh, you know getting something from Klipsch or just start out, start from scratch, look around and say, hey, you know. <laughs> that's, that's a, he's got a lot of speakers at this point. That's he does. He does, but he really only has to replace the, the five on the floor, I think. The rest of them should be okay. Cause they're oh, is that all? Just what used to be a complete speaker system, Tom? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> a lot of times we save people money around here. I don't mind sending them to mm-hmm. go shopping. <laughs> Andrew. What makes one speaker more sensitive than another? Uh, thin skin, political mm. correctness, poor upbringing, sheltered as a child. Sheltered as a child, they were. Uh, <laughs> Ma- mommy told them that they they were all winners. Ah, there were no losers. So as he understands that horn-loaded speakers are super sensitive and don't need a ton of power to drive them, why is that? And how can his Paradigm Monitor Nine speakers be ninety six dB sensitive when they are not horn-loaded? Somebody lied on the sound. <laughs> power handling is all about you know how much how much power it takes to get a certain amount of sound out of something, right? So certain speaker designs lend themselves, or driver designs lend themselves to, uh, you know, being able to get more sound out of the less power. I mean, the horn on the horn loaded, you know, basically it's just like talking through a megaphone, right? You talk through a megaphone, you don't talk that loud. It, it amplifies it, it sort of self-amplifies it to a certain extent. So it, it lends itself that way. But that does not mean that you can't have a more sensitive design with something else. It's just, it just can be more expensive or more difficult to uh, obtain or require specific materials. So, you know, sensitivity is not necessarily uh, only limited to horn-loaded you know tweeters oh, no. it it can be in all sorts of those like the compression tweeters that do you know mm-hmm. are, are really easy to drive and everything else so and the folded ribbon tweeters yeah. tend to be more sensitive yeah, yeah. It, so i mean we should uh, uh define for people who, who might not be completely we've, we've joked about the word sensitive so it'd be good to define it which is just for the amount of electrical power that comes into the speaker, how much of that gets converted into actual audible sound, into yeah. sound pressure? It's so, normally one, white, one watt, one meter. So they'll put one watt yeah. into a speaker, and then they'll, they'll put a microphone a meter away, and they'll measure you know, how loud it is. And that's what the dB that's right. rating is. So it might a normal speaker, like a normal off-the-shelf consumer-level speaker is going to be around 86 to 87 dB efficient, which means that with yep, one watt, 89 one is fairly common in yeah. a tower. 
that type of thing. Uh, but it is important to know that what you typically the uh, the test signal that's being played is either white or pink noise, right? Uh, which means it's all frequencies all together at the same time. And sometimes the only reason a tower speaker has a higher sensitivity rating is because it's playing more bass than, say, the bookshelf that's part of the same family. And so it's the cumulative amount of sound pressure that's coming out of there, which actually is a greater range of frequencies, not necessarily that each, if you picked one of those frequencies out, that it's actually any louder. So there's that type of thing that's that's sometimes going on with the rating. So it's got to be a little bit careful about that. But overall, we're just talking about how good is this design at turning the electrical signal into actual audible sound. That's the sensitivity or the efficiency of right. the speaker that we're talking about there. Now, why does a horn generally make... If, so you take a tweeter... It's producing however much sound pressure for the given amount of wattage put into it. And then you put that exact same tweeter into a horn and it becomes more sensitive, more efficient. It gets louder with the same amount of power. It is producing the exact same amount of air displacement, but that air displacement is now being focused in a way by the shape of this horn around it. Instead of that sound spreading out in this wide hemisphere of sound in every direction, it's actually funneling some of those sound waves Back in, yeah. cupping your hands around. You'll well, see. Why, you, why wave, does that work? Yeah, you know, sometimes they call them you know horns. Sometimes they'll say, "Oh, we have a wave guide." Sure. You know, and it, maybe it's it's only on one side of the spe- of the tweeter, like the, the horizontal will be completely open, but the, yeah. the vertical will be restricted. You know, just to get a little bit more sound going in one direction. So. The, his second question is the speaker sensitivity. Well, I, oh, did you finish? I wanted to uh, do a little bit more oh. on, the, on the paradigms because the paradigms aren't uh, horn loaded. So how could a, uh, you know, you're looking at two tweeters. Why is one of them more sensitive and more efficient than the other? Uh, so a lot of what happens to that electrical signal that comes into the speaker is a good portion of it gets turned into heat. Uh, it has to go through a bunch of filtering components in the crossover. It then has to uh wind its way through a voice coil. That voice coil acts against a magnet. So there are multiple things in that whole electrical construct that can lend itself to being more efficient. If you have, I mean, ironically, fewer components in the crossover or, uh, you know, slopes in that crossover that aren't as steep, it means more of the electrical power is able to get through that crossover without being converted into heat, without being filtered off. So that's one aspect of it. Uh, if you have a more efficient voice coil, if you have a stronger magnet for the voice coil to act against, these are all things that would allow a speaker to be more sensitive because there's just more magnetic flux working on that signal. Uh, usually that'll increase the cost, but that's, that's a way that you can do that. So he asks, is a speaker sensitivity any sort of indication of quality, or could a really crappy speaker be sensitive? Well, yes, it is not an indication of quality, and <laughs> no. necessarily. And it, could a really crappy speaker be very sensitive? And the answer is yes. There were some Bic America speakers that I did not think were very good that were very sensitive. Yeah. I mean, that's no knock against Bic in a general sense. I'm not talking about... So I've liked some of their speakers quite a lot, but they have. They've, over the years, they've had a, a few here and there that I was like, yeah, that's not a good speaker, but it was very efficient. <laughs> right, so... I mean. It's, we, uh, we've said this over and over again, but it bears repeating. You can't look at the design of a speaker and say, this is a good design or a poor design, or this is going to be... Uh, you can look at it and say it's a good or poor design, but you cannot look at it and say it's going to be a good speaker or a bad speaker. 
or it's going to sound good, it's going to sound bad. You know, speaker, there's so many components, there's so many interacting parts as far as where drivers are, the driver layout, you know, how the drivers are actually used, which are actual drivers and which are just passive radiators that look like they're supposed to be drivers. (laughs) You know, how much they spent. I mean, there are speakers out there which, you know, they have a wire going from, the crossover which it bypasses everything and it has a resistor on it and it goes to the tweeter there is nothing else that's doing right. anything except for this one resistor on the on the tweeter and that's it that's that's their crossover for the tweeter you know other <laughs> speakers inside are doing all kinds of things to make sure that the tweeter gets the maximum performance and maybe its sensitivity is lower because of it I yep. don't know. Yeah, more of it was converted into heat. That can certainly so be the case. You can't really look at any one metric and say this is a good speaker. It's just impossible. Now you can look at the speaker and go, "This design makes some sort of sense to me," and then mm-hmm. you look at another speaker and say, "This design does not." And because of my experience, I want you know, I this speaker, I have some questions about its design. But when you put them both side by side, it, in the end, it's all about the sound. So he asks, uh, "What is best? Is what it what or what is desirable as far as sensitivity goes?" Well, it honestly, doesn't matter, except if you're sitting far away, <laughs> in which case, yeah, then it's, you it's care. suiting it to your listening distance and environment. That's actually what we have to worry about. Yeah, um, I mean, if, if so, let's we we get two. I'm sitting uh, ten feet away from my speakers, no matter what they are. Uh, I see two speakers. Uh, one of them has very high quality components. It's at a reasonable price and it's uh, 87 dB efficient. And here's another one similar. Everything looks similar, but it's 89 dB efficient. Uh, I listened to them both and I preferred the one that was 87 dB, but the other one's rated at 89, so I better buy it. Nope, nope, not I, at all. I would has... go even greater than that and say like 98 you know, dB <laughs> right. efficient. Like make the, make the difference that much greater. The, right. I only look at sensitivity when I care about hitting reference volume from a certain yeah. distance. Once I know yeah. that I can hit reference volume from where from where I'm sitting from my speakers, like five feet yeah. away, six feet away, or whatever ridiculous amount it is, I I don't I wouldn't care I would never even look at the sensitivity rating of a speaker when I put it in here. I wouldn't even cross my mind. Oh yeah, not in, in your room. I mean they would have to do something egregious and strange for right. you to not be able to hit reference volume in your room. I can't but imagine. some people yeah. are, they have a huge room and they're, they're legitimately sitting like 25, 30 feet away. Yeah, go avant some, some people have that, you know. And, and in that case, it's a consideration. You're going to want to look for speakers that are not only possibly more efficient, but also have very high power handling at that point. You might want the combination of both. Yeah. And that will start to restrict your choices. Because, you know, Look around. Most speakers are in this sort of 86 to 89 range. That's exceedingly common, yeah. uh, which tells you something right off the bat. And then if it is more efficient and, and or has higher power handling, that's almost something where they engineered it specifically for that purpose. Right. Yeah. I did say avant-garde. Did you hear me say that? Avant-garde speakers. I missed that. I was the, talking to you. I know. The- so those who don't know, avant-garde speakers are the, they are massive, there's huge, massive Ferrari red horns. There's like four or five of them in yeah, a cluster. I mean, like, think of like a sousaphone and then make that about four times larger than an actual yeah. sousaphone. Yeah. yeah. it's they, uh, they are crazy looking. They are real efficient though. <laughs> real. <laughs> One watt. One watt, they blow you away. Dan. Dan wants a new TV for his bedroom. He has it in mind that since this is in his theater or the living room, he doesn't need the best of the best. But when he thinks about it, they actually watch quite a lot of 
TV in bed. So maybe skimping isn't the best idea. Ideally, he'd like to keep the budget around 500 bucks. So maybe not the best of the best. And he figures a 55-inch would probably be the most appropriate size, although 65 inches could fit. Something like the 55-inch uh, Vizio M Quantum or TCL 6 Series would easily fit his budget. But if he increases his budget to 750, the 65-inch versions of those TVs all are available. If he were to stretch, oh my goodness, he's going down the rabbit hole, people. Save him. <laughs> Grab him by his little fluffy tail. <laughs> if you were to stretch up to a thousand to twelve hundred, the Samsung Q70 or the Sony X900F could be options. But then, if he's willing to spend a bit over a thousand dollars, he might be able to get a fifty-five inch OLED back down smaller. So, what are our thoughts? What should we get? You should get the TCL. Call it a day. That's what I think. <laughs> that was the <laughs> no, first I mean, thought that went into my head. Was like, you want fifty-five inches? You want it for your bedroom? You want TCL. for five hundred bucks? Yeah, you want five hundred bucks? TCL. The done TCL six series. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm in agreement. The the only question to me is: Do you truly, genuinely want the 65 inch size? Right. Um, because then we're talking about 750 versus 500, and there's an obvious reason why it got 10 inches bigger in the diagonal. So that to me is like, okay, that's a pretty easy justification. If you're just like, I really want the 65 yeah, but inch, 50 percent more on this TV for 10 extra more. inches. And, 10 extra inches. Yeah, you know, I mean that's fine. That's fine. If yeah. you've got the money, spend it. But if you want to stay the budget, and you're it, it, the TCL is no slouch. That's a it is nice TV. When you're talking about what is the best TV I can get for the least amount of money, uh, uh, in a you know putting out the this is a really crappy TV. Like for a really good TV for the least amount of money, the TCL six series it wins. Uh, I wouldn't get the M Quantum. It's I mean it really doesn't do HDR. Um, the, the TCL 6 series for the same price bests it. I am not, so over at Artings, uh, they are sort of, uh, favoring the high sense, the H9F or even the H8F. That is because Artings still, they're like, if you can get 20 nits brighter, we'll call you better. Oh. Uh, but they do not tone map HDR correctly at all, whereas TCL does. In fact, TCL, they brought out their brand new 8 series, which is like their super duper flagship. We're not talking about that, but they brought that out. And Vincent Tio over at HDTV Test, he's like, uh, it's not tone mapping HDR correctly. They're like, oh, they release a firmware update and now it does. So I'm like, TCL, good on you. I love that type <laughs> of responsiveness. So uh, yeah, get the TCL 6 series, Dan. You're, you're, you're done. Uh, you decide 55 or 65 because both are pretty reasonable prices. Uh, all right the last question tom okay tom uses both hdmi outputs on his ultra hd blu-ray player he sends 4k hdr video directly to his tv and separately sends audio to his receiver he has noticed that the audio video sync isn't perfect and it bothers uh-huh. him greatly welcome uh-huh. to my world i will literally yep. like like movie night stops if the, if the audio stick is off, everybody leave the room. Oh, Daddy dear. needs to go in project mode, and I don't want to see any of you until I get this thing fixed. I hear you, brother. Pre-Sean. All right. Uh, he can adjust the sync either on his disc player or his AV receiver, but that doesn't seem to be any perfect setting. It seems as though Ultra HD Blu-rays require more audio delay than regular Blu-rays or DVDs, but it can also change from disc to disc. And even within one movie, uh, it can seem as though the sync is perfect for one scene, but then slightly off for another. <laughs> Press pause and then press play again. That usually fixes that, but go on. Yeah. Why are there different amounts of audio delay for the different disc formats? Why, why would the sync seemingly change within one movie, and what can you do about it? This is this is annoying. Um, 
<sighs> Which Ultra and HD Blu-ray player is he using? Because that's the question I have to ask. Because there seems to be something going on with that. I would that would be my first thing to do would be the. I mean, typically I would expect the audio delay on the 4K HDR disc to be less. Less, not because greater. you're. Yeah. Your TV isn't having to upscale it. It's already coming out. I'm assuming he's playing it on a 4K HDR TV. So your TV isn't having to upscale it. Sometimes when it has to upscale 1080p, there's a slight bit of latency introduced by the TV doing that upscaling or by the player doing that upscaling. But regardless, uh, let's put that out of our... Well, he did ask why is it different between the disc formats. Like I say, that you're, what you're describing is the reverse of what I would expect. My right. explanation normally would be that one of them is having to be scaled and the other one isn't, and that could introduce some additional latency, which it, it does. Um, uh, but why it would be the other way around? God, I, I can't. Something's can't askew. Quite. Something's <laughs> weird. So I guess... The, I'm not okay, sure. Okay, so the, 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 the solution... Okay, the solutions. Either the problem is a disc player and there's something weird going on with that, Uh but more likely, it's it has something to do with the fact that you're using the both connections coming out of the the disc player and. Well, it's it's that I mean I'm I'm assuming this is a case where his AV receiver is old enough that it doesn't pass through exactly. 4K HDR or maybe maybe it passes through 4K and HDR but not Dolby Vision because we had a few of those AV right. receivers for a year or two there. Uh, I'm assuming that's the reason he's doing it that way, and unfortunately that means the AV because. The AV receivers, everything connected via HDMI, everything that can handle 4K and HDR, it has HDMI lip sync on all of the devices. The the right. source, the AV receiver, and the TV all have the HDMI lip sync feature, which is precisely for this. It's to make sure it that it stays in sync. This shouldn't be happening. But, it is. but well, but because the video isn't being passed through his AV right. receiver, it doesn't have a chance to use that synchronization feature. I mean, is the solution here? It's AV time receiver. to upgrade your yeah. AV receiver unfortunately yeah, it really it really is it really is it really is that, that I, I unless it is a specific problem with your player yeah which seems unlikely but could be the case is I there mean, any chance an hd fury does anything here i mean if you're gonna buy an hd fury you might as well buy a new receiver the receivers aren't <laughs> that much well, I mean, if he's doing like a 11 channel Atmos receiver or something, it's definitely more than an HD Fury. Those are $250 HD Fury integrals. I mean, for 300 bucks, you can get damn fine receiver from Accessories for Less that will solve all of these issues. So, anyways, I, I don't know. It's, but I mean, that is the thing. You, you unfortunately need to feed the video and audio together out of your disc player into. I think an HD Fury, look into that, and I think an HD Fury Integral might be able to help you here, or a new AV receiver that will be able to do the lip sync adjustment automatically via that HDMI lip sync feature, and then send it onto your television. Yeah. You know, I can sit there in a room with my wife, and we could be watching. There's a specific, uh, <laughs> like the first episode of uh, White Collar is uh -huh. on, on Netflix. The audio is desynced, and you there's no fixing it. It's the audio on the actual transfer is not right. Right. And well, that's I, the, with uh, Black Hawk Down. Don't ever try to adjust your lip sync on Black Hawk Down because they did so much ADR. And when the vo when the actors re recorded their voices, 
they're not spot on with their lips. Oh, <laughs> and that's not the fault of anybody's player or TV or anything. That's just the way the soundtrack is compared to the video. But I, I was so much ADR. sitting there with my wife watching this episode and I'm like, oh my God, this lip sync is killing me. And she's like, what are you, <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm like, the lips don't match the voice. Oh, I know this. Well, you know this now? Not really. How? Yeah, that. Ugh. That's bliss to Dude. live like that. <laughs> Dude, I know, really. <laughs> Where can I get? You, where can I sign up for a little bit of your obliviousness? I'll take some. Thank you. That's why we don't watch our own YouTube videos because no. I can't get the lip sync fixed. <laughs> in Floyd Tools' book Sound Reproduction, there's a section where he talks about driver configurations in horizontal speaker, uh, horizontal cylinder speakers. He mentions how a traditional MTM design you get acoustical interference at higher frequencies and at wider uh, horizontal angles. So he compares that the design where the dedicated mid-range driver is below, uh, added below the tweeter, and then two woofers can be placed on either side of this tweeter mid-range vertical stack with the dedicated mid-range driver in place the two woofers can be crossed over at a lower frequency which should lessen all of this interference yeah and this is this is why we yep. prefer this design over the mtm design do yep. we find that acoustic interference should be a real audible problem with actual center speakers is it a genuine mm-hmm. problem significant enough for us to consider the driver layout when selecting or recommending center speakers we often consider the driver layout when we select or recommend center speakers but I've owned MTM center channels and I can't say that I've ever experienced the interference that is being talked about. Mm -hmm. I have not taken multiple center channels and tried to, to a B them to see if I can, you know, identify it. I think in, this is often the case with people and all of us, uh, the speakers that you live with, the speakers that are in your house, you know, these issues that we talk about as being, you know, integral to the design or, you know, that that may be part of the design. Uh, you're like, I don't really hear that. Of course, you don't hear it. You've been listening to the same speaker for, you know, six years. <laughs> you don't hear it because and it's the way it sounds to you. It is possible to have an MTM design that um, largely mitigates these interference problems uh, by having a tweeter that's able to play quite low. Right. So the crossover from the tweeter to the two mid-range or two mid-woofer drivers is fairly low, and that helps to mitigate some of this. Or it's a situation where it looks like an MTM, but it's actually a two-and-a-half-way design, right. where only one of those uh, woofers on one side of the tweeter is actually crossing over into the tweeter, and the other one on the other side is at a lower frequency crossing into the other woofer. So there are multiple ways that a speaker can look like an MTM and not have these problems. Problems, but I have heard for real in no uncertain terms the problems of this type of design when I was shopping for on-wall speakers because so many on-wall speaker designs, they have one design, it's an MTM or an MMTMM. Mm-hmm. And whether it's the left, right, standing vertically or the center, all they did was take that same speaker and flop it on its side, call it a center, you mount it horizontally and yeah, you move even slightly yourself left to right and you can hear the sound go like, like it's just like, obviously not making that actual, but it's there's this like odd, that's the comb filtering. That is the lobing issue that you can measure and they can show it on a graph and it can be easy to hear. So in a lot of those on-wall speakers, the crossover point is quite high. They're using these small three-inch or sometimes like two-and-a-half-inch drivers. They're playing all the way up to three-and-a-half kilohertz and that's where the tweeter takes over. And yeah, I have totally heard it and it 
bugged the heck out of me. I was like, this is unacceptable. Mm. And that's why I ended up with Revel's Concerta on wall speakers because they did something so easy, uh, which is they have their design, which is a, a MMTMM, and the vertical ones are exactly that. They're a two-way MMTMM. But the center, they made a two-and-a-half-way design, but they didn't go like woofer, mid, tweeter, mid, woofer. They went mid, mid, tweeter, woofer, woofer. <laughs> so they put both of the mids to one side of the tweeter and both of the woofer ones that aren't playing as high to the other side of the tweeter, and it worked. Mm. It worked. It didn't have that comb filtering lobing problem, which is there if you take one of the vertical Revel Concerta speakers and just turn it on its side, which it looks like you can do, but it doesn't sound the same. Uh, so yeah, I absolutely consider it. Uh, it's certainly something I look out for in center speakers. All right, so who do we have left? We have Michael K. That was it for this week. I just wanted to mention Rawl M and Mark G. I got your questions on Monday. You're on the list. I want to thank our listeners of the week. We want to thank Adam and Thomas for going to uh, avrant.com and leaving us a cup of coffee uh, PayPal donation, as well as our 90 patrons over at patreon.com, including Patricio and Michael. Yeah, Adam and Thomas, thank you so much for those PayPal donations. Thanks to our 90 patrons over at patreon.com slash Podcast. If you'd like to sign up and make sure the number stays above 90, On to 100, people. That's right. We're aiming for it. Patricio and Michael, thank you for being two of our patrons. Oh, my phone's ringing. I always want to thank Vince (laughs) and Dan for sending uh, Rob gift cards from Amazon. So thank you, Vince and Dan. Yeah, that was super nice. They will go towards Christmas presents. Thank you, Vince. Thank you, Dan. For AV Rant, I'm Tom Andrew. And I'm Rob H. Now go out and listen to something. <laughs> <laughs>